During the stage of moving from diploma to degree, I actually tell my parents that I wanted to drop out from the school. I just wanted to do this full-time. At that moment, I was dreaming it all the time. I just wanted to do it full-time and make this for a living from miniature art. But then, of course, my parents urged me to continue because they say it's so sayang if you drop out because you have the full scholarship. So why not you just continue and do this as part-time? Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 45 of the So This Is My Why podcast. I'm your host and producer, Ling Ya, and today's guest is Lim Puiwan. Puiwan, also known as Pika Worm, is a self-taught miniature artist who, upon discovering miniature art at the age of 14, fell completely in love with the craft and knew she wanted to pursue it full-time. She launched Pika Worm, where Pico refers to a tremendously small unit in the metric system, and Worm is derived from the word bookworm. When taken together... Pico Worm signifies someone who loves to devote time in making something small, which is an apt description for Pui Wan. In this episode, she shares her journey in figuring out, firstly, how to make her first miniature art, a lollipop, before graduating to making dollhouses and barber shops that used to operate at Jalan Panggong in Kuala Lumpur, to the competitions she participated in, and most recently, how she ended up in the limited Snapchat show with Ryan Reynolds, aka Deadpool himself. If you've ever wanted to understand the world of miniature art and know what it takes to become a professional artist, then this is the episode for you. And if you have time, I would love it if you could hop onto any platform you're listening to this podcast on to leave a review and help others find this podcast. Now, are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. So I have three sisters and one younger brother. So my sisters, they are my mentor all the time because they are older than me. And I would say the one who really loved miniature is my second sister. She used to collect miniature art, but by that time I was still young, so I couldn't afford it. So instead of buying like her, I just started to make it myself. You mentioned that your sister collected all this miniature art, but you weren't actually interested in it, right? You didn't really look at it. But I think you were already interested in art at the time. You were watching Art Attack on Disney and you loved it. Yeah, I definitely love it. I really love to make craft. I mean, instead of drawing, I think I prefer craft. I mean, doing something out of nothing, out of paper, out of anything else. So it in a way also affect me that I can go into this journey because I love to do something with my own hand. And yeah, like you said, at first I'm not really into it. But after I read a book, so that book is talking about how to make miniature from daily life objects. For example, something really impressed me is, you know, the medicine capsule. So that tutorial book also teach me on how to use this capsule. So you just pull out one side and you can make it as a glass bottle. So attach with transparent earring stud and also this capsule to make it as a glass bottle. So, which has impressed me very much. And I couldn't imagine that, oh, we can make something so tiny out of our daily life objects. So this was the, I would say, the boom to me, uh, yeah, to me, uh, really go into miniature art. And this happened when you were 14, right? So you fell in love instantly. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so you read the book and were you like going online to forums, trying to find other people who loved it? What were you doing? Yeah, because by that time, our house, we only have one computer. We didn't really like very accessible like nowadays. But I was really into it. So I literally go to Cyber Cafe and <laughs> I try to search it from the forum and also some Japanese artist blog. So just try to figure out how I can learn more about miniature art. So we don't have YouTube tutorials by that time. So I just can try to read what the artist is trying to say in their Japanese blog. 
of course, I used Google Translate. But then I eventually, I really learned Japanese myself and tried to understand what they are saying and where's the material they are using. But then there's a problem is I couldn't find the materials in Malaysia. That's another thing is not only found some Japanese artist blog, but I also found some Malaysian artist blog. So there's a small group of people, they also doing this in Malaysia. So I have a chance to visit their exhibition because they just had a really small exhibition in Central Market. I'm not sure if you know this, but after a few years, they really work out on the art market and exhibition in Central Market like every year. So when I was uh, browsing through all these websites, I was so thrilled that, wow, there's a group of people really doing this in Malaysia. And then I visited their exhibition and I was so in love with it. And I also talked to them talking about how they do this because I was no idea on how to make at all. And this is how I first started. Like I said, I couldn't find what's the material and I couldn't find it in Malaysia. Then I just tried to use some cardboard, tried to use some scrap woods that my cousins gave it to me. But the time when I really have a chance to make it myself was about Form 4, Form 5, which is 16, 17. Yeah, so it takes about two years for me to actually discover where I can get the materials right. What kind yeah. of materials were you looking for? Because as I understand, you even had to work part-time just to afford these materials, right? Yeah, and you know, I don't really work part-time to get the material, but I just wanted to save some money in order to buy something I love. But then I never imagined that it takes lots of money. <laughs> so eventually, I really put all of my part-time salary into the material. So the material-wise, at first, I was looking at balsa wood and some tools like tweezers, like the brushes. I mean, because I'm not really into art. I mean, I was studying in science class in secondary school. So I don't really know about art that time. So everything I have to figure out myself from zero. So in terms of buying the paintbrush, I have to figure out which sizes and which fur is better to use as well. So I really have to learn it all the way from zero. So talking about a toothbrush, I really use it because when we are dealing with clay to make miniature food, so we actually need to use toothbrush to get the texture. And I believe the wood that you just mentioned is more quality wood that's easier for you to carve, right? Well, balsa wood is a very soft wood. So that was the one who I learned it from the book. But then after some trials and errors, I actually found another type of wood is even better. So it takes lots of experiment, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort to do the experiment, trials and errors, stuff like that. Yeah. So your very first project was a single lollipop. How did that go about? <laughs> Because I managed to buy a stock of clay. So this clay comes with instruction paper on how to make lollipops. So that is how <laughs> I first started doing this lollipop. Yeah. I just follow the instruction and try to make it myself. And how were you giving yourself these projects? Because now you do mega recreations of like the insides <laughs> of barber shops and restaurants. And you started from a lollipop. So how did you slowly scale up? Well, I would say I really appreciate because I have the chance to join the competition. Because you have the competition, so you really push yourself to learn even more than you expected. Because when you set up a team, what you really want to make. So you will face some problem because there's a lot of things that you never made before. So you have to really try it out. I mean, practically. If you just think about it, how to make it doesn't make sense. I mean, you can't learn anything. So you really have to do it practically to learn it yourself. Talking about joining your first competition, I think there was a dollhouse competition when you were still in high school. How did that yeah. go? I mean, that's quite an ambitious project, if you will. Yeah, it is. But I just wanted to give myself a chance to go further. Because as I said, I started with the lollipop. So eventually, when you do lots of small items, you really want to gather up everything to make it as a dollhouse, to make it as a shop or something else. So that competition also drives me to actually work out something complete. 
So that time, the team of the competition is doing fairy tale. So what I chose is a bakery shop from Studio Ghibli Anime, which is the Kiki's Delivery. So I really love this movie. So I chose this team and make the bakery shop. So to make up a bakery shop, you have to make the basic structure of this dough house. You have to make the wood furniture inside, the display rack, the display cabinet, something like that. And most importantly, of course, the bread and some decoration, flowers, the pots, things like that. So you really have the chance to explore something new because I really love shopping. But what I shop is craft store or bookstore you know i really love to explore as many as i can the materials and the tools so i can make something out of them would you say this is the point where your hobby turned into something of an obsession and you started to dream of wanting to be a miniature artist yeah it is i still remember i was thinking on how can i become a miniature artist as a full-time job like all day long every night You know, you have a dream to, you really want it. And when you look at the Japanese artists, they really do this as a living. So I, I was thinking, why can't I do this in Malaysia? Because Japanese can do this, so why not Malaysia? I mean, one of the most <laughs> famous ones is Tomoko Tanaka, right? He does amazing yeah, art. Really amazing. Yeah. Wow. He's so, yeah. my favorite. I mean, he's the best artist I love the most. It's incredible. So take us into your world a little bit. I mean, when you do a shop, for instance, as you said, you clearly have to plan so much in detail before you even start buying the materials, the equipment, and then putting it all together. Like what kind of things do you need? Do you plot it out with the computer, making sure all the dimensions are right? How does it work? Definitely, we need the plan first because in miniature art, the most important thing is the ratio So because you can't make it, the table is big and the chair is small. So it doesn't make sense, right? So definitely we need to make sure everything is perfect in the ratio. So I will need to plan in advance from the drawing. So basically I use computer software to draw it out first because it can easily squeeze down in any scale you want. So it's also easier for you to make changes instead of drawing it in a paper. Of course, sometimes I do for small things, but doing a doorhouse like a shop, like I say, so we definitely need to draw it in the computer and also do some research. For example, what do you want to make? What do you want to include in this scenario? So what details you wanted to enhance in this uh, whole scenario? So sometimes I will imagine myself if I am the shop owner, so what would I do? For example, I am in the barber shop. I own a barber shop. So a barber shop, you need a scissors, of course, you need a hairdryer. So what would a barber do in their daily life? So you can imagine all this thing and just be yourself. Just imagine yourself in that shop. So you can figure out as many details as you want. And also combined with the research you do from the internet, you can actually figure out the whole image of this diorama. So this is the initial stage, planning, then drawing, sketching. And then when we first started doing this miniature, We have to make the basic structure first if we are doing a shop. So definitely you need a ground, you need a wall, you need a roof, for example. So after this, we will go further into some big items like furniture, like a hairdryer, as I said, scissors, things like that. I mean, from big furniture to small items. So everything has to include in the scenario. And then the last stage, it would be the most important part, which is weathering. Because weathering, it gives life to this uh, whole scenario. You have to include some wear and tears, some stains or dirt on the floor, on a wall, etc. So this thing, it can enhance the whole miniature artwork because it makes you feel like people are really in there doing stuff. So you, you can feel like there's somebody experiencing something in there, which is really amazing. <laughs> I mean, the dirt, the stain, that's clearly such a huge feature of what you do. You know, you really try and recreate that scene. And I imagine you go beyond just imagining what it's like being a barber, but you actually go and visit the place and you take photos of the stains as well, right? So you really yes, observe correct. 
you really observe the surrounding. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's really interesting because, I mean, sometimes, for example, I think I discovered that, oh, there's a plastic bag hanging in there. So you will think about why is it there and what the bubble would do and why is this appear in this place. And then you will figure out <laughs> something interesting if you observe more. I would say this is a bit creepy because, you know, you try to observe something that people don't usually did. And <laughs> so I really love this part very much. I love to capture the dirt at a corner and I like to catch up what they do like when nobody's in there. Very interesting. <laughs> what, what has been the most surprising or favorite thing that you've captured so far? Well, I think it's the moment of the people doing their stuff. I mean, they're doing their own job. So uh, you can, because normally when I take the photographs over there, I will get their permission first, of course. And uh, sometimes they have their own customers. So they just ignore me, just let me take photos, whatever. And then she chat together with me, I mean, with the customer as well. So we will share our life. I mean, sometimes they, they just share their daily life with me and say, so what they do and how's the business going? I would just ask, just uh, like normal chit-chat thing with your uncle. And then you find that they are mostly friendly. As long as you are friendly to them, they will be fine. They also share lots of their story with you. Because there's once I just sit down in a coffee room and then I was just taking some photos. And then the uncle sit beside me, just ask me, what are you doing? And then eventually when we talk, he said, hey, I think I remember I saw your article in the newspaper. <laughs> That was so short. And then, oh, wow, really? <laughs> and then, you know, we started a conversation again, which is so funny. And we share with each other what we do for living. So he told me that he's an engineer. So doing the construction nearby. Uh, so, you know, I am literally doing tiny engineering. <laughs> I mean, civil engineering. Because I build houses, right? So it's so fun to share experience with people like this. Yeah. One of the places you love going is Lorong Panggung near Chinatown. Yes. What, what was it about that place? Because you have created so many, you know, scenes from that place before they were refurbished. Yeah, it was quite fateful because my elder sister, her wedding photo was taken over there in that shop, in that alley. So that was very long time ago. And then when I saw this photo, I was so surprised because I remember that I read it from a book. So that book is talking about KL history. So I remember this place because from the book and at the same time, I saw this place so beautiful. And then by that time, I was still studying in the university. So I had a chance to, you know, sometimes when we finish the class at 12 or 1, so I have lots of free time. So I would just drop by KL to have a walk. Because I wanted to really see what is going on in KL and compare with what I have read from the book. You know, I just wanted to discover the history, which is so interesting. And then I just dropped by the Kopitiam and also this Lorong Panggung. So the most famous thing is one street like pole at the back of the Kopitiam. It stays there for a hundred years. So I just wanted to have a look myself and I was, wow, <laughs> this is 100 years old. Like, poor. <laughs> just, you know, just doing it out of curious. And then I, I really love this place because the food is nice, obviously. And the uncle and auntie, they just, you know, I just randomly talk to them and asking them, oh, how long is this place in the hair? So they told me it's about 60 years and was inherited from his father. And that was also the first time I actually discovered that the building nearby in, in this Lorong Panggung was so old. It was built, I mean, in the early 20th century, which is so precious. So I really wanted to preserve all this thing, all this history and also the building structure into my miniature art. So that is why I started this project. So by that time, I was started in about early 2017, yeah, if I'm not wrong. But then they announced that they're going to refurbish by May of 2018. 
So that's about a year for me. But because I was just doing it for my own, so it's not a job. So I'm doing it slowly. But when I went back again to this Kopitiam, so the uncle told me that they are going to reconstruct this place. Not only the Kopitiam, but also the whole Lorong Tanggong. So I feel really sad because uh, I really love this place as original as it is because as I said I love the building structure I love the doors I mean the doors is so beautiful they are in blue I love the colors almost everything so yeah this is why I really wanted to make something I love into my miniature art yeah I think you made it for like the Hokkao Kopitiam and also for Mr. Yeah. Boon the master of the scissors sharpener uh, yeah yes correct it must have been really special for you to chart his story because you didn't just make it, you also did an entire video that featured an interview with him as well. Yes. Yeah, that was an accident actually because I didn't know that Mr. Woon shop at first. But that's once my friend actually brought me to his shop because it's really inside the Lorong Pangong. You couldn't find it if there's no one bringing it there. So I had the chance to go to this place with my friend and just chat with him. So I took some pictures, just a few. I mean, not much, not as detailed as I took the Hokkao Kopitiam. But then before Hokkao Kopitiam was refurbished, this shop, this Caesars sharpener shop, the uncle has already moved back to his house. So he's going to retire as well. And then once I was... Thinking back, this uncle, I mean, his uh, craftsmanship is really precious to me because, you know, there's not much people are really doing this kind of craftsmanship anymore. And then I figured out all the ways, I mean, uh, try to dig out his phone number, his contact number. I am asking the uncle from Hogao Kopitiam as well and also asking his grandson. I mean, <laughs> and also asking some of my media's friends. No one has his contact. And then at the end, I found it from a YouTube channel. So a short video about this shop. And then there is one contact number in the description. I, I was so happy. And then I tried to call. I'm not sure if this is correct, but I tried to call. And then, yes, it is. <laughs> and so I successfully contacted this Mr. Woon. And I just went to his house and do a short documentary about his story. Was Mr. Woon very surprised that this young person yes. really wants to do his story? <laughs> Yes, it is. Because I remember when I was visiting him, we actually talked about his famous stuff because he was interviewed by lots of people as well. I mean, by the students nearby and by the media because, like I said, the craftsmanship is very precious. So some media actually interviewed him before. So I actually took the photos of what he was interviewed from the wall because he sticked the newspaper on his wall. And then I was so happy because I would say this is fake because I am able to find his contact and he allowed me to do the documentary and I was so pleased and so appreciated. So it's clear, you know, as you're talking about your stories, you're hunting down these people who mean so much to you, that you love this work so much. So why do you end up doing mechanical engineering at Tunku Abdul Rahman <laughs> University College? That is totally different. <laughs> <laughs> well, because as I said, I was from science class in a secondary school. I, I just doesn't want to study about accounting, you know, numbers is just a nightmare to me <laughs> but then I love science I love physics the most so I just decided to go for this course I'm not really into this course when I first started this in, in a university but then eventually I think I love it I can learn a lot about what, what is going on in life because engineering it basically happening in our life I mean lots of appliances lots of applications actually is doing it with engineering so I'm still loving it but then I know clearly myself that my passion is doing miniature art because obviously every day when I was finished the school when I go back to home I just learn how to make miniature art. I practice a lot, like almost every day. So I know myself, I know my main passion is doing miniature art, but I just wanted to, you know, seek for a second chance if doing miniature art can't pay my own bill. So just go for engineering, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you were there on a full scholarship. So were you ever tempted at any point to drop out early? 
and pursue major art? Yes, I do. But wow, I was true that you found out that I have a full scholarship order. <laughs> I do because I was studying diploma at first and then going into degree. During the stage of moving from diploma to degree, I actually tell my parents that I wanted to drop out from the school. I just wanted to do this full-time. At that moment, I was dreaming it all the time. I just wanted to do it full-time and make this for a living from miniature art. But then, of course, my parents urged me to continue because they say it's so sayang if you drop out because you have the full scholarship. So why not you just continue and do this as part-time? So of course, I think this is their delay plan. They wanted me to be an engineer, I guess. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, I, I think they wanted me to be an engineer, but they just urged me, uh, you can do this part-time, so just continue the study. <laughs> and then I listened at the end, of course. So I just decided, all right, I will just go on. But, you know, I never regret about this because I think studying in degree actually gave myself lots of time to really practice and also learn on how to do your own business because as an artist i think you can't be just make art you have to learn uh, a lot more than that you have to know about management in terms of financial in terms of time in terms of uh, business you have to manage everything I mean, because you wanted to be self-employed. So you can't just make art. So during my study in the degree, I actually read a lot of books about business. I just bought books from the bookstore and read a lot and also plan in advance on what I'm going to do after my graduation. Because I have decided I wanted to do this after the graduation and no one can stop me, even my parents. <laughs> So, you know, I planned a lot. So I just wanted to be myself ready to get this thing done. I wanted to be full-time. So I have to actually do something to persuade my parents because they doesn't know what you can do as an artist. I mean, they can't understand. So I just wanted to prove to them because I'm not just saying it, but I'm doing it myself. So eventually they just let me go. <laughs> they know nobody can stop me. They know I am stubborn. So they also know I am good in planning and execution. They know, I mean, my parents know me the best. So they know my characteristic that I can do that. Of course, they have a lot of worries. I mean, when I first started in full-time, they worry a lot. They also urge me that, do you want to find a full-time job first and do this part-time again? So they come back again. But then I was so lucky because I still managed to get orders and also can feed myself. I can pay bills. So after, I guess after a few months, they just stopped their urge. <laughs> So, I mean, that's the big thing that artists always face, right? How do I turn my hobby into a business? So you graduated in 2016, but I believe in September 2014, that's when you launched Pico Worm. So was Pico Worm yeah. part of the whole plan? Like what was the thought process behind that? Yeah, I would say I have already wanted to plan the whole business. Also, the vision about this. I mean, it's not that clear at first because you have to really experiment what is the market preference and also who is your niche who really would buy stuff like that. So you have to do some testing. So eventually it gets clearer and then you would just make a path out of it. So how were you doing the testing? Well, I joined some art market, of course, uh, because you wanted pickle worm to be exposed. So the best way is from social media and also art market because art market can approach lots of different kind of people. Because by that time, Instagram is not that hot, I would say, just at the beginning stage. So I also do lots of study also about the photography because I realized that if you can't show your work good in vision, people were not interested to look further about this. So I also bought a camera. I don't have much money, but I just do part-time job and save some money to get the tools that I really need to make this business. So by that time, the way I do is really simple. But in terms of marketing, you have to introduce what is miniature art because it's not that popular in Malaysia by that time. You have to educate your user 
on what is this and why is it so expensive? <laughs> I would say this is not cheap because it takes a lot of time and effort to do it. So you really have to educate your user. This is in terms of business. But in terms of personal, I really focus in improving my own skill because you can't stop learning when you do in art. Because there's a lot of different things, or I would say new techniques coming in. So you really have to keep yourself improved in order to catch up into that stage. Like I said, you have to find, let's say, your inspiration or your mentor. Like I said, my favorite artist is Tomo Tanaka. So his work always inspired me. And also, I would always tell myself, I really wanted to make as detailed as I can, just like him. So you find a goal, you find an inspiration from a person you really like, and eventually you will drive yourself towards it. Was it hard to raise awareness initially to a Malaysian market that had never seen this before? Well, I would say yes. And also I joined an art market in Singapore. It's also the same over there, but it's better. I mean, better than Malaysia. But then I, I remember I was so upset when people can't really understand but then again i tell myself you have to stand firm on what you believe you have to understand what is your bottom line what's the thing that you really believe in and you think this is true so along this way you just keep telling people even though they will not agree with you in front of you but then i think in some point they will change their mind in some point so I think I will just do my best to tell them about what I can do and also to educate them about this market. And eventually, you see, the social media start to pop out lots of miniature art and then they accept it. So this is how it works. I mean, you have to stand firm on what you believe and then eventually people will understand that. Was pricing something that you struggled with? I mean, like, how do you price art right it's so subjective and then you have Malaysians who are like oh it's so expensive and then you'll be like oh should I lower my price but it devalues the worth of my art how do you think it through well you you (laughs) it got that point because it's so struggle to actually do this at first I was just doing in a simple formula because you just have to figure out what is your material cost and how much time you spend over this project And then there's a chance I meet with an artist. I mean, meet in the internet with him. So he's an artist from Hong Kong. And then his work is so amazing as well. And he, I mean, in Hong Kong, he said that the market over there is also the same. I mean, the same as Malaysia. So the worst part is someone bought his work and then resell it, which is so, I mean, just so bad. You know, this situation is so bad. And then we discuss about pricing. So I have some point from him that you have to know what is your own value. I mean, people can value you, but you can value yourself. So what is the thing that you think you have put in the most? And you, you can do some comparison. For example, when I was talking with this artist from Hong Kong, so he just shared with me on what is his pricing. So I would just compare myself with him because I think I'm not that, I'm not as good as him. So he can price in that value. So what about me? I think you can do in this way when you just started to price your artwork. But then eventually, when I improve in my own skill and I put lots of money in refining my own techniques, so you know what effort you have put in. I mean, the one who can understand is yourself. So you can just eventually increase the price or think about some arrow because sometimes you may make some mistakes. So you have to add in some arrows into that value. So this is uh, how I do the pricing. Do you remember your first sell and what that was like? Well, like I said, I was very lucky because I met a guy from the art market. So he's doing on puzzle business and he really loved my artwork and he appreciated it. He said that, wow, I love your work. You will famous one day. I want to buy from you now. <laughs> yeah. Then he just told me that, hey, uh, can you help me to recreate this thing from 
a photo? And then I said, yes, of course. So I just uh, recreate something out of this photo, exactly the same. And then I just charge him a reasonable price and he is okay to it. So I was thinking that actually there's some people, they will buy your work because they appreciate it. But some people, they will just say that this is shit to me. So why I have to pay for it? So there are people who really appreciate your work, but there are also people, they don't appreciate it. So I would just change my mind. So if people, they don't appreciate it, so just beat it, never mind. Eventually, there will be someone really appreciate your work. Do you ever go through a really tough period where you thought, oh, this is not for me. Maybe I should be a mechanical engineer. Well, I do. That was just last year. I would say. But I never think about going back to engineer. But I was, that was a time I was so confusing, you know, during the MCO. I mean, I was so, so dark about myself and I doesn't know what I can do. I, I don't know if that is the, the environment that causes me into this thinking. And then the point when I have opened my mind is that I started to make something I love. I make a scenario about Detective Conan because I love Conan a lot. I mean, since I was young, I love to read the comic. And even now, I love to watch the the movie because they have the movie every year. I was just telling myself, why you choose this path at first? Because you love it. So at this moment, you are so upset. You're so frustrated. Why not you just do something you love? So just forget about any work forget about the pandemic forget about other projects so I just sit down and just do it thinking back that this was my hobby and then I turn it into a job so I just found the passion back you know I was so happy that I did this because sometimes you just have to go back to the basic you have to go back to the basic to find yourself and wasn't last year the point where you decided to do a theme of recycling all yeah. materials yeah, because we were all locked down at home. So I was thinking, oh, why not we just do something out of the materials we can grab everywhere. At the same time, I think lots of other people also having the same problem with me. We are so boring at home. We have nothing to do. So why not we just, you know, try to create something out of the materials from our daily life. But this is also the reason why I record the tutorial to share with the others. So thankfully you continued because I believe last year was when Ryan Reynolds' team contacted you and you appeared <laughs> in this limited Snapchat show Ryan doesn't know. Can you share with us a bit yeah. about how you got involved in his show? Well, I just received an email one day uh, saying that, oh, that email was from the production team of this Ryan doesn't know show. So the production team actually contacted me saying that he was locked down at home because of the pandemic. So he browsed through the internet and found some interesting idea of what he's going to do for this show. So I was very lucky to be one of it. And he just bookmarked and asked the production team to contact me. So I was very, very lucky. And what was it like filming the actual thing as well and teaching me how to make that little hair dryer? <laughs> I actually worry a lot before we start the shooting because I couldn't imagine because, you know, he's funny, he's very interactive. So I am so afraid that I couldn't cope with his joke. <laughs> I mean, I, I am afraid. I'm afraid a lot of things. But then the worry is just too much because he is so funny. And along the show, the shooting, he makes lots of jokes. And of course, we know that this show is not going to be serious because the team doesn't expect that he can really make a hairdryer. they also expecting that he is making something weird. So I was just there to actually talk to him and uh, I mean, teaching him on how to make everything else. He just has to figure it out <laughs> himself. Yeah. I mean, he had a full array of tools and you said, you have more tools than yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they do. They actually prepare lots of things for him. <laughs> Amazing. So after you appeared, I imagine everyone, all the media must have suddenly noticed you and knew who you were. So how was it like after it was aired? Well, I was so, so honoured to be there, of course. I mean, I really appreciate that they gave me this chance. I couldn't imagine an artist 
like me in Malaysia can be featured in his show. And then, of course, suddenly a lot of media they actually contacted me. So I was just telling myself that become, become. <laughs> just do what you usually do. Just don't be, you know, don't feel yourself under the spotlight. You just continue to do what you wanted to do. Do you feel like there was a sudden uptake in demand for your work? Yes, it is. I'm really happy for this because at least during this time, I keep working on different projects. So you don't have to worry about whether the sales is going down or what. But then I also wanted to give myself some break. I wanted to do something I love. So let's say some projects that is not really attract me because I have one get a project to do miniature leather bag. But then the company, they're actually using the real animal leather. So this is what I'm not really supporting. So I would just reject this. You have choices. I mean, at least after this explosion, you have choices to say no to some certain project people who want to be miniature artists, what do you think is the thing that they should be aware of before becoming a professional miniature artist? You have to be patient <laughs> because you are turning your hobby into a full-time job. So that means you are working on miniature at all times. And especially this thing, it takes lots of time. So you doesn't have time to think about the other thing. You have to take care of your own body because uh, especially your eyes, you keep focusing on small things for such a long time. So I actually eat carrot every day. Seriously. <laughs> for, for real, for real. I eat carrot every day because I wanted to protect my eyes. <laughs> and then sometimes when I cook myself, I am such a bad cooker. Sometimes I cut my own finger, which is really bad because you have to work on miniature and your hand, your eyes are the most precious thing. So you have to protect them really well. <laughs> Imagine you must give your hands a break sometimes, right? Otherwise, they would cramp. Yeah. Yes, correct. I mean, when I was doing this at full time for the first, so that's once I was falling on the wood and I didn't notice it takes a such a long time and then when I just leave the falling tool my hand was trembling which is so scary to me I was like mm, I know this is your job but you can't do this to yourself so you have to relax you have to give yourself a break and there it goes into time management which is so important it's such an important subject to me to a self-employed artist so you have to really arrange well your own schedule, what is important to do first and what is not, and which thing you can say yes and which one you can say no. I mean, you run your own business, as you say, and your work is very solitary and you never actually went into the, you know, the corporate world. So was it difficult for you to find a community around you that you could work with and get to know and collab? Well, I would say because nowadays we are living in a social media world. So because of the social media, I have the chance to actually collaborate with some companies. So I never really approached them myself. I mean, because sometimes I think if we are doing it for commercial purpose, so it has to be for some certain project, for example, for advertising, for poster shooting, whatever it is. So... I would just leave this to those advertising or marketing company because at first I actually had collaborate with some advertising company. So when they have the job, when they have the opportunity, they would just call me. And then eventually you spread this name. I mean, because Malaysia, at this moment, Malaysia still doesn't have a lot of miniature artists. So when they really need one, so I am the one that can pop out immediately in the internet so they can find me easily. So I think at this moment, it's not difficult for them to find me if they really need miniature props for any commercial purpose. And 2021, you have started this 52 weeks of art. How did that yeah. come about? Well, because last year, I wasn't really creating something new because as I said, I was kind of uh, frustrated during this pandemic period. So I wasn't really creating much as I expected. 
So this year, 2021, I think, why not I push myself further to create something like every week instead of doing projects for work. So why not you choose some tiny stuff? I mean, anything, it can be anything. So I have already some plans about this. So why not you choose some little things to make out of your own favorite stuff? Like? <laughs> I just wanted to make something I love, a tiny one that is enough. I just wanted to push myself a bit further and also a bit more active on doing miniature. So because sometimes the work I do for commercial purpose or even some personal collection, I couldn't reveal it. So which is so sad. I, I wanted to make myself more active and also sharing more works to the public to actually inspire people that even though we are in the pandemic right now, we still can set a goal for ourselves and keep doing this. I mean, you say it's small up, but you were making things like a whole box of oranges that were wrapped in plastic. You were making a whole pencil box set, a bunch of paint set. I mean, that's so much work, so much intricacy involved. So were you setting aside a lot of time for these personal art projects? Well, it normally takes a day, seriously, at least a day to two. So I would do this during the weekend or when I was free at night. I mean, sometimes uh, after the dinner, I would just sit down to do a little bit of it before I go into the couch and watch the TV, <laughs> you know. I have some free time, so I would just do this during the free time. Uh, so I would just do this thing during the free time. But at least I have the goal for this year. I wanted to create 52 artworks during this time just to keep myself remember that you love this thing and you will never forget what is your initial goal to do this this job or to go into this hobby because you know what is your passion uh, about this thing so i previously interviewed an artist red hongi she was episode two and she also went through this period where she was like oh i want to be more creative do something personal so she started a series of food art projects and it was just personal did it every single day and she said i felt more creative at the end of that process do you feel the same way as well Yes, I do. I mean, because you are not doing this for a job. You are doing this for your own. You just wanted to relax yourself. You just wanted to, to immerse yourself into the creating process. So I think when you set a personal project, it is also a process of healing from your frustration. So this is how I see these 52 projects. Like I said, I was so frustrated last year. So I just wanted to set a clear goal for myself this year. So you started when you were 14. You have been doing this for more than a dozen years now, a very, very long time. Have you projected <laughs> into the future and thought of what you want to be? What is that ultimate goal? I have lots of favorite artists from around the world. So I wanted to be like them. Like for now, I wanted to actually go to join. There's a group called IGMA. So IGMA is the International Guide Miniature Institution. So this institution, they actually have a lots of master uh, teaching, lots of professional, I mean, even more professional skill on making miniature in a really specific thing. Like they have woodworking, metalwork in miniature, which is so specific. So I actually wanted to save money and join this group one day and also learn more professional skills. And I wanted to hold an exhibition one day for myself. But for now, I think I don't have enough artwork. So I just wanted, I, I'm giving myself about three to five years to actually build a lot more projects for my own. And then eventually I can collect enough amount of the artwork to do the exhibition. You know, it's such a joy to hear you being so passionate about what you're doing, which you discovered when you were so young. What is the best way for listeners to support what you're doing? Well, I think sometimes I find really happy just looking at their inspirational comments because you know that there are people actually supporting you. They really like your work. And sometimes you even think that they are inspired by you. You know, sometimes I found out secondary school students or even some of my fans, 
they are giving their kids do it, doing some craft, miniature craft. So they told me that it was inspired by me. So I was so happy that because I am here to actually inspire the other, just like how Tomo Tanaka inspired me. So I really wanted to, you know, give some other people that, that inspiration to do what they love to do. So yeah, I would say as long as they are supporting me from the social media, they are giving me kind words that is more than enough to me. Because, you know, at least I know that there are a bunch of people actually love my works and this is what drives me keep going on this thing. Well, Poiwan, it's such a pleasure to have spoken with you. I normally end all of my interviews with this question. So for the first one is this, do you feel like you have found your why? Yes, I do. Obviously, I found my own why that I know clearly what is my passion, what I am doing for my whole life. I have decided when I was in a young age that I wanted to be a miniature art for my whole life and I did it. So I, I, I think that when you set your own goal, you found yourself that you are driven at all times. So at least you are not confusing on what you like or what you doesn't like because lots of people, they actually doesn't know their own why. So at least I find, found my own why, which is my passion. This could be my best decision ever, I would say. <laughs> and what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Mm, well, I never thought of this, but I really hope to inspire the young generation. So, you know, in, in these days, people just tend to keep active. They active in the social media, but they don't really go into something. I would say art and craft is a good process to find yourself, to keep yourself in a peace. You can spend some time to yourself, I mean, talking to yourself and understand what do you love. So I, I think if I could give the inspiration to the young generation, I think that would be the best thing I could leave for them. And what do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person? I think persistence is quite important. Like I said, when I found my passion, I, I have never thought of doing other things other than miniature art. I was locking myself into this path because I just wanted to do this. I have a really clear mind and I persist to do this until I achieve it. So I think persistence is pretty important. And where can people go to connect with you and know what you're doing and buy your work? Well, I have an Etsy shop, but then because I have some other jobs pending, so I have to close it at the moment. But normally, you can just send me an email or... Sorry. <laughs> you can just send me an email of what you wanted to do in miniature art. So you can send me a pictures so we can discuss further on it. So of course, you can find me from the social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And that was the end of episode 45. The show notes and transcript can be found at sothismywhy.com forward slash 45 alongside a link to subscribe to this podcast weekly newsletter. Last week's newsletter covered Red Hongi's latest Times art cover, which she burned down as a nod to climate change. The new $1 million Creator First program that Substack has launched to encourage more local news journalists and the ultimate NFT canon by A16Z. And stay tuned for next Sunday because we'll be meeting one of Malaysia's most well-known CEOs, who, after a decade as a management consultant, became the CEO of Asia's first successful low-cost, long-haul airline carrier, the CEO of Asia's localized answer to Netflix, and now the startup founder of a digital health platform that seeks to transform the industry with its holistic approach to wellness. Want to learn more? See you next Sunday.